0: Welcome to the Missio Day podcast. Missio Day is a family of Jesus, joining God as he makes all things new in Chicago. Check us out online at missiodaychicago.com. Today's scripture comes from James chapter 5, verse 7 through 11. Be patient then, brothers, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop, patiently waiting for the autumn and summer rains? You, too, be patient and stand firm, because the Lord's coming is near. Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Brothers and sisters, as an example of patience in the face of suffering, take the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. As you know, we count as blessed those who have persevered. You've heard of Job's perseverance, and I've seen what the Lord finally brought about. The Lord is full of compassion and mercy. Good morning, Missio O'Day. Uh, it's so good to be with you on this 4th of July weekend. Uh, we are in a series on the fruit of the Spirit, and this week we are studying patience. I want to begin with a phrase. It's a simple phrase, but it's an important one, and that is this, that the goal of following Jesus is to become like Jesus. Now, that sounds super simplistic, something we all probably heard before, but it's an important one because we live in a moment when identifying as a Christian can mean so many different things to so many people. Like right now, you can use Jesus as a way that you are living your life and it can create two different outcomes that look completely opposing to each other in our world today. And there's so many different things that, people use for Jesus to follow him that don't look like Jesus. And so we need to make sure that the goal of following Jesus is to become like Jesus, but we can't do this alone. There's so many forces at work in our world. There's forces that dehumanize us. Uh, They dehumanize some to be inferior in this world and some forces that dehumanize us by causing some people to be propped up as superior in our world, in our society. And these forces that dehumanize us are at play, but becoming like Jesus requires a different spirit than the spirit that is at work in our age. It is a different spirit that the Bible calls the Holy Spirit that we are to be opened up to. And the challenge is for you and I to know, how do we know we are becoming like Jesus, following Jesus? How do we know we aren't creating an image of Jesus, Jesus that matches our will or culture and following that, which is so much the case with religion. And that spirit is often at live and at work in the world. But Paul in the fruit of the spirit list, what he's doing is he's showing us this is the actual virtues that can help, you know, you are following the real Jesus. And when I think of the fruit of the Spirit, I think of this image of, the, of a prism. Uh, many of you are probably familiar with a prism. I don't need to explain what a prism is. If you've seen a Pink Floyd album cover, you know what a prism is. Uh, but a prism is this, uh, this, this triangle uh, and that, that light hits. And once that light hits, it refracts uh, lots of different colors out into the, to the space. And what i love about this is this is kind of how the fruit of the spirit works in my mind that the god is the god of love uh, in his root character is love and when the love and light of god enters into our life uh, it will bring out all kinds of different virtues uh, an array and in a hue uh, a myriad of colors of what Christ-likeness is like and so today we want to look at that virtue of patience and Uh, these virtues aren't something that we can just believe the right information with and just be zapped into transformation. Uh, We need patience. Patience is this virtue that undergirds all the other virtues. And I want to first begin by talking about the enemy of patience. The enemy, I think, of patience is actually the way we view our time. And the, the enemy of patience is viewing time as a commodity. Uh, If you think about the way we even talk about time, time, we spend time, we save time, we want to invest time. We use language about time as if it's a resource and commodity to be spent. And even our whole society is built on capitalism, which is the speed of production and an instant coffee and instant oatmeal. And we love our high speed Internet. You think about what makes Chicagoans angrier than anything is to have slow Internet. Right. And so we we value uh, time as a commodity. I think we see this play at most, especially on this 4th of July weekend, I'm reminded of uh, the great theologian Childish Gambino's song, This is America. And what is so uh, capturing of this video is the power of paradox, where we see children singing joyfully, shouting, you know, this is America, and singing with lots of music. But then immediately, as we are in tune with the joy, a shooting of gun violence happens. And yet the gun, and other things like capitalism and other things are taken very much well taken care of while the image of God being a body on the ground is left unattended to. And this is what happens when we view time as a commodity. Uh, speed often is just another way of doing violence. And so this force of speed draws upon the world And it causes us to have a lack of resilience. It often results in capitalism. And we end up with broken and unjust systems when we see time as a commodity. But what James and other biblical scholars and other people in the scripture doesn't don't see time as a commodity. Time is a gift. And if we're going to have patience, we have to see time as a gift. I love the way uh, Kusoki Koyama A Japanese theologian describes this time in theology and violence towards a theology of nonviolent love. He writes, time was traditionally experienced as being as unlimited as a loving mother's milk is unlimited to her baby. Time was generously given. It was not sold as pork chops are sold. There was no business engagement about time. Time was cyclical, that is to say calm and level-headed. It was basically pastoral and agricultural. It moved in comforting rhythm with the plowing in the paddy fields. It was communal. Indeed, the essence of our experience of time can be said to be a sense of continuity of communal fellowship. We never experienced time in isolation. We floated communally in the ark of Noah. There was only one shared time on our, on our ark. And so for us to be patient, we have to learn to see time as this gift that we can't add spiritual formation to an overly busy schedule, that we have to see this redemption that that God is trying to do in time. And if you think about what prayer is, all prayer is is wasting time with God. And so time in our culture is often seen as a business achievement, an import or export. Uh, We see instead of, paddy fields and temple yards, we see us violently grasping, uh, looking for, to, to see our value in our stock exchange and not seeing people that have no value in our stock exchange and seeing the time that is valuable with them in community. Uh, now, because of that economy of time, time does not heal us, time wounds us. And so we need to get back to the ingredients of patience, the ingredients of patience in scripture. What James says, we're going to look at James because he has a great expounding on patience. In chapter five, first of all, he says, be patient, therefore brothers, until the coming of the Lord. He goes through an example of a farmer. And in verse eight, he says it again, be patient, establish your hearts for the coming of the Lord. He says it again in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience. Three times he's going to mention patience. In the Greek word for patience, for James is this word macro thumos. It's a, a combination word in which we see macro and thumos. Thumos is the word where we get thermometer. It's the word for anger. And the word means to be long to anger. Long to anger means is the opposite of being quick tempered. It's the slow to anger like the Old Testament would often God first revealed his name to Moses and said, I am the Lord, the compassionate one who is merciful and faithful and slow to anger. That word in Hebrew is interesting, it's fun, because it means that God is long-nosed, all right? Now, I know in our culture, Pinocchio, right, uh, that means you lie a lot if you have a long nose, but in Hebrew, having a long nose means you were slow to anger. It took a long time for the heat and anger of your nostril and breath that represented the anger to get through. And so God is (laughs) long-nosed. He is slow to anger. This is in the very nature of God. I love the way... One of my uh, pastor friends illustrated patience is just through the simplicity of an oyster. You know, an oyster uh, gets inside of it these grains of sand. These grains of sand irritate the oyster. They frustrate it. They exasperate the oyster. But that grain of sand that gets in the oyster... Uh, To protect the organs of the oyster, the oyster begins to uh, calcify the sand over and over again over a long period of time. And with this liquid and that turns into a pearl, Uh, the pearl that we value of great price. Right. And that pearl is just the result of a frustrated oyster. It's the result of suffering and agitation for the oyster. And God wants all of us to become that pearl, which we talked about from the beginning, is becoming like Jesus. So a lot of us like that picture. Man, I want to be like these people. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be a pearl of great price, right? But we don't want the process of becoming like that pearl. All throughout scripture, anyone of the Bible of great character went through God's waiting room the waiting room of suffering, the waiting room of pain. Many of us, we look at these people and want their destinations like Joseph. Oh, I want to be like Joseph, second in command to Egypt, uh, Egypt's uh, Pharaoh. And, and man, he had this position, and, but he was lied, lied to uh, by his brothers. He was betrayed by Potiphar's li- wife. He was forgotten and he was incarcerated for no crime. Well, what about Moses? Moses, the great liberator. I want to be like Moses, that kind of leader who liberates God's people from oppression. But what we got to remember is for 40 years, the equivalent of 1980 to 2020, Moses was in isolation, herding sheep until one day he he comes across a burning bush in which god says hey i'm gonna get your attention i've been watching you moses i've been seeing the way you've been taking care of these sheep i want you to actually take care of my sheep the way you've taken care of these sheep or what about David? People are like the King David, right? A man after my own heart, like this verse that we often quote. I want to be like him. But if you look closely, there's grains of sand all in David's life that from the time that he was anointed as king to the time he ascends to the throne is 16 years of being on the run, getting out, running from his enemies. For 16 years, he spent hiding out in caves, fleeing from his life from those who were trying to kill him. So we want the victory of the empty tomb of the resurrection, but we don't want the theology of Good Friday. We often want to skip the, 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 to the delivery room of blessing without first taking that pit stop into the waiting room called patience. I wanna encourage you, Monsieur Day, that this is a call and a time and a season to be patient. As we, as a church, want to be uh, to fulfill whatever our version of success is that I want to encourage us and maybe challenge us to think that maybe God's not calling Miss Yoday to success. Maybe he's calling us to failure. Failure in the sense of what Jesus said is to give up your life, that we would, and in failing, we would actually be biblically successful because we would co-suffer with others, that we would be patient with others, that we would press into adversity, knowing that God is reforming us, changing us, purifying us with his refining fire so that we can endure and become more like Jesus as a church. We don't learn patience in, with the letters on the end of our name. We don't learn patience in an air-conditioned condition, air Christian environment. We learn patience when... You know, some of us are always, you know, a bridesmaid but never a bride, or always a groomsman but never a groom. We learn patience when we get married. some of us have gotten married and you think, oh, I'm gonna have a child within a certain amount of years, and you're you're barren or infertile for years and years and years, is when you learn patience. You learn patience when you have a child that you so badly want to follow Jesus, but there's nothing you can do to control them, and they will have nothing to do with Jesus. You have patience when you find out like my sister-in-law who discovered a few years back a, a lump on her breast and that she had breast cancer and you endure the suffering of cancer. It is in these times that God teaches us patience. And the reason like None of us want patience or even will dare ask for patience because we're theologically sophisticated enough to know that implied in the request for patience is something that asking God to give us something that we don't like. There's no way any of us in our right mind want to ask for patience because we know if we ask for patience, we're asking God to put us in a circumstance that we do not like. But James here is grabbing us with imperative after imperative, which means command after command, be patient. He's not tweeting some tweetable advice that's fashionable and retweetable. He's grabbing us by the collar saying, be patient church, be patient child of God. And so he's knowing that there's going to be adversity. And James gives us an analogy for patience. And he says, if you want to know what patience like, is like, consider the farmer. And he says here that in verse, in verse uh, 8, excuse me, in verse 7, he says that see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, being patient about it until it receives the early and late rains. And so he says, if you want to know practically how to be patient, he says, look to the farmer. The farmer doesn't uh, wait passively. The farmer doesn't look at the barren field and and go to God and say, God, I demand that you give me wheat. Now give me wheat now, God. I demand it in the name of Jesus, let there be wheat. No, that's not what the farmer does. The farmer looks at the barren field and plows and plows and plows. He cultivates and cultivates and cultivates and sweats and breaks his back in labor and toil, doing everything that they can, actively engaging actively uh, uh, pressing down upon and tilling and cultivating and creating, knowing through all of that labor that is all assuming one thing, that the Lord is going to bring the rain. And if the Lord doesn't bring the rain, all of his labor is in vain. And so all of that labor is pressing in, knowing in faith that God is going to bring the rain. God is going to bring the change. God is going to bring the hope. And so that is how we wait patiently, month after month, year after year, laboring. It reminds me of the great American theologian, um, uh, uh, Howard Thurman. And Martin Luther King Jr. would carry the disinherited Jesus with him everywhere he went. He's known for that. And Howard Thurman in that book wrote about the saint older saint who was planting pecans and Howard Thurman as a young boy said, why are you planting these pecans uh, knowing that you'll never see these trees bloom? And he says, these trees, these pecan seeds are not for me, but they are for the next generation. We plow and we press in for love and justice and beauty and hope and faith and continue following a Jesus that is for us all people because we know that the fruit will happen even if we don't see it in our lifetime. It is for the next generation. You know, speaking of, speaking of Howard Thurman, um, there's a sentiment uh, right now as there were in this moment of our country that some people are telling others to wait for racial justice, to wait, be patient for police reform. And it reminds me of, Uh, back with Martin Luther King Jr. There was a group of pastors, eight white pastors that published an article in the Birmingham newspaper about how Martin Luther King should wait. And the famous letter from Birmingham jail was Martin Luther King's response on why he can't wait. I think this is important because as a caveat to patience, I wanna talk about how uh, this idea of patience and injustice, how does it work? You see, patience is critical if we're going to be about justice. We have to have the self-care and patience to see the marathon of working towards justice. But Martin Luther King Jr. responded to those pastors, those evangelicals, asking him to wait with this. Perhaps it is easy for those who have never felt the stinging darts of segregation to say, wait, But when you have seen vicious mobs lynch your mothers and fathers at will and drown your sisters and brothers at whim, when you have seen hate-filled policemen curse, kick, and even kill your black brothers and sisters, when you see the vast majority of your 20 million Negro brothers smothering in an airtight cage of poverty in the midst of an affluent society when you suddenly find your tongue twisted and your speech stammering as you seek to explain to your six-year-old why she can't go to the public amusement park that has just been advertised on television and see tears welling up in her eyes when she is told that Funtown is closed to colored children. When you are humiliated day in and day out by nagging signs reading white and colored When your first name becomes a word I cannot say, and your middle name becomes boy, however old you are, and your last name becomes John, and your your wife and mother are never given the respected titles Mrs., when you are harried by day and haunted by night by the fact that you are a Negro, living constantly at tiptoe stance, never quite knowing what to expect next, and are plagued with inner fears and outer resentments, when you are forever fighting a degenerating sense of nobodiness, then you will understand why we find it difficult to wait. There comes a time when the cup of endurance runs over and men are no longer willing to be plunged into the abyss of despair. I hope, sirs, you can understand our legitimate and unavoidable impatience. What I believe Martin Luther King Jr. does is displays biblical patience, the patience that keeps on forgiving, keeps on loving, never retaliates with their own versions of organized hate. And yet this is the kind of patience that we're called to endure as Christians. James continues and says, if you're gonna be patient, you need some role models. He says, to consider in verse 10, as an example of suffering and patience, the prophets who spoke in the name of the Lord. And he says, behold, we consider the, those blessed who remain steadfast. And you have heard the steadfastness of Job, and you have seen the purposes of the Lord, how he is compassionate and merciful. Uh, just recently, I got uh, my son, Jude, his first poster for his room and he wanted a Spider-Man poster. Love the Miles Morales Spider-Man. And this is uh, Jude's first kind of role model and who he adores and wants to be like. And it reminded me of my childhood and nostalgia of all my posters, Bo Jackson and and Michael Jordan and and the Beatles. And what uh, James is saying here is he says, there's some posters for what it looks like to be patient. He says, the posters that you should look to for patience is the prophets. He says, consider Ezekiel, Ezekiel. God told Ezekiel, hey, Ezekiel, my people don't understand how patient I am with them. I want you to lay on your side, unclothed with just your undergarments on for 390 days. And I don't want you to move because I want my people to see that I will not move. I'm not going anywhere. I'm sticking by your side, no matter how unfaithful you've been. Or consider Hosea. God's like, Hosea, I know you finally went to seminary and you've got your degree on how to be a prophet and you've got your first community of people you're trying to lead, but I want you to go marry Gomer who's going to be unfaithful to you again and again and again. And I want you to remain faithful because my people have cheated on me. And I want them to see what my response is like when they cheat on me, that I am not leaving. I am sticking it in and I'm going to be forever patient, slow to anger. And I'm going to be with them till the end of this time, no matter what. And then he says, hey, consider the, the, the Michael Jordan of patience, the goat of patience, uh, Job. Look at Job. Job lost everything, all of his fields gone, all of his house gone. He goes to a funeral carrying 10 caskets, one of them his children. And his wife whispers in his ear, curse God and die. And Job can't hear God's voice for 38 chapters, and in the middle of 38 chapters in chapter 19, when he doesn't feel like worshiping God, when he feels like God's abandoned him, when he feels like all those who follow God are crazy, he looks at God and says, I know my redeemer lives. Job didn't feel like God was living, but he knew and relied upon his reality of his past relationship with God and said, I know my redeemer lives lives. And so church, I want to close with that, 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 that suffering is what Leonard Cohen, the song where he writes an anthem, he says, ring the bells that still can ring. Forget your perfect offering. There is a crack, a crack in everything. That's how the light gets in. That's how the light gets in. And so church, I want to encourage you that through your suffering, through your pain, through your endurance of difficult times, Let that crack be the way the light gets in. Let it be the place where God shows you how patient he is with you. And may you be patient with God and patient with others as you endure hard times. And as you press into your anger, may your anger be seen as a good thing. But may that anger be transformed into something constructive because you are God's workmanship. You are his pearl being transformed into the image of Jesus. And even though this is America, there is still hope. And there is hope for a transformed world and for a community of Miss Day to look more like Jesus. Let's pray. God, I pray that you would uh, give us patience. And may we recognize that what we're really asking forth is the call to die, the call to co-suffer, the call to suffer with others. That if we're going to need patience, we're going to be pressing into adversity, pressing into difficulty, pressing into more challenging times. So God, give us the endurance to run the race. Give us the wisdom to discern what following you looks like. And God, give us the wisdom of the farmer that actively engages as we wait and trust on you to bring the, Lord, uh, bring the rain because our strength will rise as we wait upon you because you are an everlasting God in which time has no limits and you are forever patient with us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for tuning in. We love to keep the conversation going. Find a weekly gathering or gospel community in a neighborhood near you. To find out more, check us out online at missiodeschicago.com.